Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Monday, December the 7th. We're going to be joined by a hockey card expert named Stephen LaRush. Why? Because Gretzky's rookie card is set to become the first hockey card to fetch a million dollars at auction. And speaking of hockey, the Vancouver Canucks ditched their anthem singer this weekend after he appeared at an anti-masker rally. Lior Sanfiru joins the show to tell us what we can learn from this. But first, we have John Sinopoli from the Ascari Group on the on the line. He uh, runs the Ascari restaurants in Leslieville and King West and one of the founders of Safe Hospitality. Uh, we're going to talk about this story that, wow, that was quick. The LCBO announces Friday that there's a partnership between uh, them and Skip the Dishes, and they'll start delivering alcohol ASAP. And then by Sunday, oops, oopsie, we're going to put a pause on that. So, John, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. When I heard about it Friday, I thought, wow, what a bonehead move by the uh, province who have said that they're going to support your local restaurants by allowing you guys to deliver alcohol. When you first heard about this, what was your reaction? Uh, I mean, first reaction was like WTF, like uh, this is insane. Uh, this is a complete bully move. Uh, and then you realize that it could have just been more tone deaf, but I'm not sure which is worse. Uh, is it worse that they intentionally tried to bully their way into a sliver of the market share that restaurants had uh, inched their way in just to try to survive the pandemic? Or is it worse that they are so tone deaf and so oblivious that they went ahead with this project anyway? I mean, my inclination is that it's it's uh, column number one. Uh, I do believe the LCBO does not work in the public interest. They never have. They're a, a revenue-generating machine. Um, there's They have no business being a monopoly. Uh, and I think this brings into clear relief um, to the public how the LCBO doesn't serve society as a whole at all. The whole guise of them protecting our, uh, protecting society from the dangers of alcohol is a complete farce. It's all about revenue. And, um, you know, it's a shame that as an industry where we've been spending all of our collective energy since March begging the government for the supports we need to survive, that we had to spend the weekend begging the government not to kick us in the stomach, not to harm us, not not to, not please help us, please don't harm us. That's wow. What. Yeah, how important has alcohol delivery been for restaurants during the pandemic? Just give us an idea. It's been massive, and and, and it's like we're talking about an additional. It depends, obviously, on what kind of restaurant you are in your product mix, but additional like ten to forty percent on every sale for pickup and delivery. Um, and the fact that they would use an app that already gouges the restaurants Ugh. to then... Uh, Gouge the taxpayer you know, because the we'd be paying for it. Yeah, it's pretty insane. And I think everyone should know that they would have been selling alcohol basically at similar prices to us, making like double dipping. The LCBO already makes their full tax on everything we sell. Everyone listening should know, and I've said it before on this show, we pay the same for alcohol as you do. And then we have to try and turn around and sell it for a profit and make a living and pay our bills. You know, what this brings in to focus very clearly is that the government needs to extend a 20 to 25% wholesale tax reduction for all licensee purchasers in the province. Give us the opportunity to make some margin and make a living. And then we won't complain about the LCB going on Skip the Dishes because we can Mm -hmm. sell at the same price because we've made a 20% margin. 
but but it's basically saying it's allowing the state monopoly wholesaler to enter the retail market, which they already exist, in the only way that they couldn't enter it before and just take all the business away from small business. Okay, and they'd still make money on that, right? Yes, they, of course. Of course. What do you mean they, they make money? Well, no, I want to make it clear to, to the listening audience that they're they're not going to lose any money by giving you it at wholesale prices. The alcohol. Oh, sorry. Correct. No, no, no. The, the yes, yes. I'll, I'll, they're still going to have a, an ability to make some cash from yeah, you guys. So our taxation on alcohol is anywhere from like sixty-seven to seventy-two percent. So what we're saying is, and and in that giant amount of tax that every consumer in the province pays, 28 or 29% of that is what they call the retail LCBO tax. That's the tax they charge to provide the retail service to you. Here's the, the, the kicker, though. We, when we buy it from them wholesale and do that retail work, we still pay the retail tax. So it makes no sense. What they, we're not so you're paying double tax. Uh, well, we sure, of course, we, everyone's paying double tax. No, but you're paying the retail tax, and then you're paying your own tax. Yeah, well, well, well we pay basically we pay the same as everybody else in the seventy-two okay. percent of taxes that LCBO charges you. Twenty-nine percent of it is what they call a retail tax. That's the the, the service fee for providing what is the great retail experience for the LCBO. So mm-hmm. what we're saying is we're paying that retail tax, and then. But on wholesale, we're not using the LCBO retail system. We're using their wholesale system and then trying to sell it. So right. 28% should have never, ever been charged up, ever. Okay, so at the very least, when the LCBO made the announcement that they would be pausing, and that's, I think that's an important word. They didn't say stopping it. They, like, they'd be pausing this pilot as of Sunday. Um, that was so poorly timed and, and, com- and completely tone deaf, as you say. They should have also mentioned that they're, they could have, in, in the spirit of helping out local restaurants and businesses, at the very least, um, mentioned that they'll be uh, taking the retail tax off of your bills. Yes. So well, what we're saying is there needs to be uh, a complete rethink of how the LCBO deals with licensee businesses. You know, we need to be able to purchase alcohol at a discount from what you can purchase it at at the LCBO as a retail consumer. There's no reason why when we spend hundreds of millions of dollars on alcohol every year that we should be having zero buying power and zero leverage, that we should be paying the same taxes as the person going in and buying a single bottle of something from the LCBO at the same price. It's, it's completely insane. We're one of the only jurisdictions in the world that has these archaic rules and systems, and it needs well, to change. Well, you know what is good about this, is that we having you on here, is that this government listens to the radio, listens to talk radio specifically, uh, and tends to react if enough people know that they've botched things. And I think this is mm-hmm. one of those times where uh, this is they have to do more than just pause the program. They have to help out local restaurants. And when you, you, you put forth a really great argument for how easy it would be to help you guys out during COVID and moving forward, in fact, because you're going to need a lot. Once this pandemic's over, you're still going to need a lot of help. Gosh. 
That's a caterwaul. Wow, 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 wow. I've heard some flourish on the national anthem before, uh, but that one is different. It's by the former Vancouver Canucks uh, national anthem singer. He's the former Canucks singer because he decided over the weekend to perform at a rally protesting COVID-19 restrictions in British Columbia. And then the owner of the Canucks, after the team distanced themselves from him, you know, performing at the event, said, you know what, if you don't mind, calls out the Vancouver Sun, who had already, they had just announced, they were the first ones to the post to announce that uh, he uh, was singing at this event and the Canucks had released a statement about him and he said oh by the way if you don't mind as the owner of the Canucks just put former anthem singer in front of your headline there because he's no longer working with us and uh, this is after uh, he was very public the uh, former singer for the Canucks his name is Mark Donnelly that he was going to be singing the national anthem in its former incarnation with in all thy son's command Lior Samfiru is here. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Uh, hi, uh, Kelly. <laughs> now, this guy's decision to sing at this anti-masker rally, is this grounds for dismissal? Because I think we can all learn a little bit from this. So let's kind of start with the idea of uh, freedom of expression, because I know that this is a concept that's going to come up a lot when thinking about these things. Can the uh, owner of the Vancouver Canucks essentially impinge on the freedom of expression of the singer? Well, the answer is yes, actually, simply because this concept of freedom of expression doesn't apply to uh, private individuals or, or private businesses. It applies to acts of government. So government can't prevent someone, uh, in most cases, from, or prevent someone from expressing their, their thoughts, their, their freedom of expression. But the owner of the Vancouver Canucks can meaning in this situation he can decide that because of the way your uh, your views what you're promoting uh you know the publicity that you're getting is contrary to our values as an organization we're going to end the relationship with you now because there's no religion or religious aspect to this situation he, he wasn't for religious reasons necessarily uh, expressing his views about uh, covid-19 then there's no human rights violation. Uh, if this was a human, if there was a, a religious aspect, he was uh, promoting a, a religious belief. He cannot be let go because of that. That's discrimination. That's illegal. But in this situation, absolutely, you always have to be aware whether what you're doing publicly accords with your employer's policies, views, perspective. Because if not, the employer could decide to terminate employment. I'm glad that you answered that question, because apparently people online are complaining that his firing threatens uh, their rights and and uh, it infringes upon freedom of speech and assembly. So it does neither of those things is is one of the real issues at the heart of the story is that he performed the anthem. And that's exactly what he does for the team that ties his his person to their brand. Certainly, and it almost may seem, maybe it's a stretch, but it may look like the Canucks organization is endorsing that somehow, and, and, and there's that connection there, that nexus. Uh, and so because of that, I, I can see the owner of the Vancouver Canucks saying, you know, hey, we can agree to disagree, but this is my organization. I only want people here that promote the values that I believe in or, or that, that follows the my point of view. I mean, we may argue whether that's a good thing to do from a, a broad public policy standpoint, but from a legal standpoint, yeah, that's certainly something that can be done. 
Now, I read in the in the same article that some time ago this uh, same singer uh, performed in an anti-abortion rally. Now, that would have been a very different situation if he was let go. Well, now we're potentially touching on religion. You know, if, if this person is expressing his religious beliefs as relates to abortion, hmm. uh, he actually cannot be let go because of that. That's a huge But in this particular situation, yeah, he can be let go. You uh, dumped out for a second there. That's a human rights infringement? Is that what you said? Correct. If it was a religious okay. aspect, uh, sorry about that. If it was a religious issue, then absolutely. That could be a human rights violation. Okay, that's interesting, uh, because I, I wouldn't have thought that, uh, but I, I love that you've separated the two issues. Um, this is a guy that had the, that has gone rogue, and it, 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 as soon as I heard this story uh, break on the weekend, I thought to myself, well, he, he's going to be fired. He's lost his job. That was a poor choice. So moving forward, um, what does this, what's the takeaway here? Because I think a lot of people like to publicize what they're doing on social media. If you're going to do something like this um, and you put it on social media, it could mean you could lose your job, no? Well, I think that's, that's true, and it's especially true for those who may have a more public role where it's easy to associate them with their employer. If you work in the mailroom, your employer is probably not going to be concerned that you, somehow you're going to be viewed as representing them. But if you're out there, you're a public figure, well, you know, Kelly, you're, you're a public figure, you're, you're out there, you have a, a voice and, a, uh, and, and an audience, you represent your employer. So someone in your situation, my situation as well with my business, I have to be very careful with what I do on social media and how I present things because my, my employer, your employer, may care, may care very well about the message that sends. So, yes, individuals have to be very careful about what they say on social media, what they do outside of work, and to ensure that they're not doing anything that their employer may have a big problem with. It's simply a practical matter that an employer may choose to make a move in that situation. This headline caught my eye today and it involves the rookie card, uh, which focuses on Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky's rookie card could be the first in history uh, as far as hockey goes to break the $1 million milestone. It is set to go on auction at uh, Heritage Auctions. I believe these guys are out of Dallas. And um, we reached out to Stephen LaRush, who joins the show right now. He's a Belleville-based card collectible author and historian. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Hi, Kelly. It's great to be on. Now, the card, the uh, Gretzky rookie card is a mint condition 1979 OPG. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. um, Hockey card. Yeah, OPG for it is the apparently the um, Canadian wing of Tops supermarkets, and so no, when I was a kid, oh, it's not a supermarket. It's oh, Tops. Tops what is Tops? Tops was a a a gum producer based out of the states initially that uh, moved into the uh, trading card market in the early 1950s. I'm glad you're here because there is also a Tops supermarket, isn't there? Yes, there is. Uh, Tops never stops. I remember the jingle. <laughs> All right. Wow, I didn't know that much about it, uh, but I, I'm glad you're here. So clearly, uh, you're not uh, an authority on on grocery stores. You're an authority on hockey t- cards. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation if you know things like that. Um, I, when I was a kid, one of the things that Loblaws started to do is they did some some collecting um, of some sort of hockey memorabilia. I remember that. I also remember hockey cards. I remember the hockey cards, because I guess, you know, as an adult, I'm starting to realize I might have been kind of OCD. And the ridges 
on those cards really bothered me. Can you talk about specifically the OPG cards and why they didn't have the straight edges and why that actually makes them worth a lot of money? Well, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, for years, there was rumors that uh, OPG used uh, airplane wire to cut to cut the sheets um, because what happens is um, when when hockey cards were produced by OPG at the time and still to and still today by by other companies. Um, what happened was is that uh, it, it was used, OPG had a, a 132 card sheet, uh, 12 by 11, and uh, it, the cards would be slit with with uh, with blades. Um, and the um, the rumor about airplane wire is just kind of something that just popped up out of the blue a couple within the past couple of decades. But I spoke recently with Gary Kareen, who was uh, the head honcho at OPG in the uh, 70s and 80s and into the 90s, and he, he verified that it was actually blades. Now, what happens is as the production moves forward and moves forward, the um, the blades would become dull, and you'd get these uh, unique edges that uh, that are, are really something special to card collectors. Um, but for somebody who's maybe not so in tune with it, they might uh, not appreciate the aesthetic as much. Now, this card, it's it's expected to surpass a million dollars on, on the auction block, the Gretzky rookie card. Um, apparently, there's a lot of fakes out there. People think they have a Gretzky rookie card, and they don't. Can you speak to that? Okay. Well, what it is is that um, it, circa 1990, people started to uh, uh, counterfeit uh, notable tra- uh, hockey cards, including the, the Gretzky rookie card. And uh, what the way the spot... A, a, an Opeachy Gretzky rookie card is on his shoulder. There should be a whitish, yellowish um, spot, and that was just basically from uh, dust in the printing process. Like it would, dust would have got on the plate, and that 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 would have happened. So that's a flaw that makes it really valuable. Well, it's a flaw that makes it, you know, authentic, legit. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, counterfeiters can get a little more um, savvy over time, but. It's it's definitely it's a key indicator. So the counterfeiters left that out because they it just didn't look as good. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the counterfeiters. I don't want to know the counterfeiters. <laughs> right, but it is interesting. So the the fact that you've got a flawed card makes it worth more because it authenticizes the actual card. Um, yeah. Apparently, only only two cards have ever earned ten. Status. What is that in the hockey card trading world? Ten status, and this is one of those two. This this Gretzky um, rookie card that's about to go on the auction block. Sure, um, PSA is is one of the is probably the most prominent grading company out there. Third party grading. Where what does PSA uh, stand for? If I can just interrupt. Uh, I believe it's professional sports authenticators. I just okay. get that get in the habit of calling them PSA. <laughs> so uh, it's a little bit of jargon. So with the um, with PSA, uh, your card is graded on a scale of one to ten, and um, it's very difficult to get a ten. Uh, thousands of Gretzky rookie cards have probably been submitted, and two have got this grade. Now, what's interesting about this particular Gretzky rookie card, and I noticed this when looking at the scan itself, is that it's off registration. Uh, the red ink that was used um, in the four color pr- printing process was actually just slightly off and if you look at the Edmonton Oilers logo the oil drop is off center you know 
You know, I'm Googling that right now because I haven't got the picture in front of me. So, uh, so it's, it's seriously flawed. Um, well, this particular one, I think, you know, it, it may be a 10, but I don't necessarily feel it's a 10. Okay, go on. Uh, it, because, because it's off registration. Um, collectors uh, these days are kind of priding themselves if they could find one with an oil drop that, that is centered. Um, ultimately, PSA has their standards, and I don't work for them, so I can't, you know, vouch for why they would have given it a 10. Um, but personally, I would have hesitated. Okay. I've got, I can see what you're talking about here. It almost looks like a bad uh, paint by numbers. <laughs> a little bit. What I do, what I think is fascinating about this is rookie card. He doesn't have that signature, you know, um, party in the front uh, or sorry, business in the front, party at the back. Like you don't have that flowing Wayne Gretzky hair in this rookie card. Well, which which is kind of funny because his hair was uh, his longer in, when he played um, for Indianapolis in 1978 and then got traded to the Oilers. Um, he, he had that longer hair. Hair. So it's it's kind of funny that you don't see it on the card. Yeah, I mean, it was his, it was kind of his calling card, and where exactly. women were concerned. I mean, everybody loved Gretzky's hair. The guys loved the game. The ladies liked the hair. Um, let's talk about. There's another interesting part of this uh, the story involving this rookie card. The photographer has an interesting backstory. Do you know anything about uh, Steve Babineau, who took the uh, photograph? The uh, well, photograph. I've, well, I've known Babs for about 15 years at least. Um, when I was working for a trading card manufacturer called In The Game, I used to call Steve up to obtain photos to put on trading cards. Um, now, Steve has been a, uh, a photographer for the Boston Bruins for nearly 50 years. Um, he also, in, in the process, he uh, started uh, taking shots for the Hockey News, and that led to a deal with Topps. Some, some of the uh, most prominent rookie cards from the uh, 70s and 80s, the, they're, they're Babineau shots. Uh, for example, uh, I'm looking at, at Patrick Waugh uh, and Mario Lemieux rookie cards in particular. They were Babineau shots. Okay, so this guy would he go to he'd go to games, he'd get a good position, he'd already know that who who he was supposed to shoot. How many photos would he take at a particular game? Do you have any backstory on that? Um, I'm thinking hundreds. Okay. Uh, yeah, just based on. The, the size of his archive and the NHL actually owns his his archive of NHL photography. I think it's interesting how much he was paid for this rookie card. In what sense? In what he was paid for the photo? Yeah, seventeen yeah, bucks. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was a raise from fifteen, apparently. <laughs> Unbelievable. He says he'll sign it. I was reading in the Star for five hundred bucks. I still think that's pretty cheap. Oh, for for Babineau to sign it? Yeah. Well, I, you know what? If you want to get your rookie card signed by Steve, I'm sure he'd do it. Um, but I don't know if that would be the wisest thing to do. Would that decrease the value? No offense to Babs. No offense to Babs, but um, people would be kind of scratching their heads at that one. Are you shocked that it, it's taken this long for a hockey card to get to the level of a million dollars on auction? Um, actually, I'm not. I'm not surprised surprised to, to be honest with you um, because I knew it was an eventuality um, because of the nature of the the industry these days it's um, it's become uh, much more popular than, than it had been in recent years and I think a lot of that had to do with COVID because people started digging out their card collections 
and uh, wanted to see where the industry was at now. Mm-hmm. And then they started you- collecting. Now, were hockey cards more popular here for us north of the 49th parallel than in the States? Because I remember my American cousins having the baseball cards. And I remember the baseball cards were, were, you know, at the smoke shop. That's where we bought our candy, believe it or not. We went to the smoke shop in my town. Um, And uh, they had to hook us early, you know, get them on the gum and then move them up to later on. We want to get our clients early, I guess. But um, hockey cards, to me, were more popular in Canada. Were they more popular here? Oh, 100%. And, and it's funny that you mentioned about the popularity within Canada. Um, I've actually, um, a, a friend of mine, Dr. Jeffrey Griffith, who's a, a major Gretzky collector, he and I are um, work, working on a book right now, which is kind of a, a cultural and social history of hockey cards. And that should be out the next couple of years. What is the most interesting factoid, if you could share with, with us, about hockey cards that you've learned over the years? It sticks um, with you. This is like the Cliff Clavin fact. You like to pull it out at a at a party to impress people. Um, you, you know, it's it's funny. My my wife gets upset with me when I, when I try to uh, talk too much about uh, about cards. But I I usually just let the conversation flow with people. But when it comes to to, to hockey cards, um, you know, a great fact about it is that ultimately it's just cardboard. It's cardboard with a pretty picture on it. Um, it, But what it is, is it's the scarcity. You sound like every mother that told their kids to get rid of the collection. Well, if you get rid of their collection, mine becomes more valuable. (laughs) Uh, So you're you're actually one of those people that are happy that moms all over uh, Canada said, can you get rid of this junk? It's just a piece of cardboard with a picture printed on it. Why are you saving it? Exactly. And you you know what? It's it's the... um, it's a, it's a, it's the scarcity that makes them valuable. Now, to me, mm-hmm. I, I'm I, I don't focus so much on on the value. I like to complete an old set or pick up a, a, a nice card rather than think about what I'm paying for it or what it's actually what somebody else would pay for it. I, I'm, I'm a bit, bit different than most collectors that way. I'm going to ask you a question that most people probably don't ask you. Uh, it's a little bit personal. Did your wife know what she was getting into? Um. That's a really good question. Um, she knew I was a card collector. I was working for In the Game at the time. Now I'm uh, I, I consult for Upper Deck, but it's I, I don't think she realized how much of an impact it would have on our day to day lives. In the sense of, I would have uh, retired players call the house when we're when we're doing autograph deals, and a lot of it was a lot of working from home. So I think you know maybe there's a little resentment. It's uh, about how much it kind of takes over uh, family time, but uh, I've been able to temper that a a bit more in the past year or so. Back to this Wayne Gretzky uh, rookie card before I let you go. Mm -hmm. How many rookie cards has Wayne Gretzky signed? Nobody really knows. Um, And there's a lot of mystery behind that. People have claimed that they have the only one. Well, no, they don't. There, There are, there are there are many out there. Um, it's just a matter of uh, you'd want to get a, a third party authenticator to um, certify that it's a real autograph before you'd actually sell it, if that's what you choose to do, um, or for insurance purposes, I guess. Hmm. But the um, I would love to get my own signed. Um, so Wayne, if you're listening, uh, yes, please. <laughs> but I mean, my, my own is just a grade at a four and a half, and I'm not big on grading my, myself. Yeah. But with with something like that where there where counterfeits do exist, 
you you want to get them graded. So if you have to make them liquid one day, you won't have a problem selling it because the buyer will know it's real. I really appreciate this, Stephen. It, what a fascinating conversation. Uh, it's, Thank you. You know, it is ultimately just a piece of cardboard with a picture on it. But to people, the, the emotional connection is much more. And with the great ones, uh, rookie card going on the block, it's it's interesting to talk to somebody like you who, you know, is, is really into this topic. I, I find it fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, just as a bit of the the connection factor, uh, just before we go, um, yep. I was recently speaking with Pat Mastroianni, who was uh, Joey Jeremiah on Degrassi. <laughs> okay, and this has got to be an interesting one if you're bringing him up. Okay, yeah. So he he's a collector himself, and mm-hmm. um, we were talking about how with collectibles, what makes one of the things that makes them so, so appealing is the, is the transferal of experience and how. You know, you you might see an old card, you pick it up. Well, there's a history behind that. You know, somebody loves that. Somebody cared for that or somebody didn't care for it. But, you know, there, there's a transferal of experience. Excellent. Well, that's good to hear because uh, my husband's beer bottle collection, I'd like to transfer that on to someone soon enough. We'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit later on. That's for another conversation, though. Stephen, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Have have a great day. As Stephen LaRoche, uh, Belleville-based card collectible author and historian, currently writing a book. Hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. You can download us anywhere you get your fine podcasts and subscribe. It'll make your life easier. Who doesn't want easier? Have a great day.